Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Equal rights? Large crowds of pro-life advocates were on Capitol Hill Tuesday protesting a measure that's said to promote equal rights for all. We'll explain the truth behind the so-called Equal Rights Amendment and why Democrats in the Senate are facing backlash. Pro-Life Doctors. Dr. Christina Francis of the Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists officially takes on a new role. She shares how her impressive medical career and experiences out in the field have motivated her to become one of the most outspoken pro-life doctors in the country. Cooking Towards Sainthood. A renowned chef joins us to share his new book meant to inspire people to sit down and have a meal together in the midst of a fast-paced world. We discuss how the simple act of eating together can keep a family virtuous and strong. The Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing Tuesday focused on the so-called Equal Rights Amendment, despite the fact that the measure expired decades ago. It's the latest tactic by Democrats on Capitol Hill to impose abortion on demand. Many of us have been working for the ratification of the ERA for a long time, and Hawaii stepped up as the first state in the country to ratify the ERA. In 1972, Congress passed the Equal Rights Amendment, but gave states 10 years to adopt it in their own constitutions. The deadline expired in 1982 with only 35 states on board, three shy of the required 38 needed to amend the U.S. Constitution. Congress placed an arbitrary deadline on the ratification process, which has prevented it from being formally enshrined in the Constitution. And today, three-fourths of states across the nation have in fact ratified the ERA. Two years ago, Virginia was the latest state to ratify it, but after the deadline. Now, Democrats are working to remove the expiration date and ram the measure through. What the Equal Rights Amendment actually does, though, is take away key protections for women when it comes to their ability to compete in sports or even sex-specific spaces like locker rooms, bathrooms, and prisons. Emma Waters of the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank in Washington, D.C., explained the dangers of the so-called Equal Rights Amendment actually provide a basis for an abortion for abortion back in our Constitution, which is something that we worked really hard to overturn in June with the Dobbs decision and are really excited um, to keep out of our Constitution because we support the life of unborn children. Waters and other pro-life people in attendance wore shirts that read, quote, stop erasing us. Here's why. Because if the ERA is passed, we're going to see the erasure of women across all levels of society, from sports, from special protections for mothers, and even when it comes to an abortion right. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, co-chair of the Congressional Pro-Life Caucus, expressed her concern during the hearing. The Equal Rights Amendment would only muddy the waters. Because of its vague language, it would work to undo many of these great achievements, and it does not allow for any distinction between men and women. Even when it would make sense to do so based on biological differences. I asked Democrat Senator Richard Blumenthal his thoughts on why conservative groups are concerned the ERA would expand abortion. He said he's not concerned. The ramifications for any particular issue is really, I think, largely irrelevant. 
The ERA has been introduced in both the House and Senate and over the years has picked up some Republican support. With the overturn of Roe, Democrats in the Senate are newly determined to force this measure through. And Emily's List has announced a new campaign to unseat pro-life members of Congress, many of them women. The group, whose goal is to support pro-abortion women in politics, has named 23 pro-life House Republicans they plan to target ahead of the 2024 election cycle. In 2022, Republicans failed to take control of the Senate and only won back the House by a narrow majority. A recent Pew Research report finds that most Americans see little to no common ground on abortion policy between Democrats and Republicans. Dr. Christina Francis, a registered OBGYN, was recently named the new CEO of the Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She recently took to social media to sound the alarm against organizers of an OBGYN conference in Maryland, from which she was disinvited. We were informed that our exhibit booth had been canceled by ACOG. Despite multiple requests for an explanation as to why, the only explanation we've received is a vague explanation that we disagree with ACOG, presumably on the issue of abortion. After attending the CREOG OBGYN conference for 15 years, APLOG was informed that they were not allowed to take part in this year's event. Formerly serving as the group's chairwoman of the board, Dr. Francis is one of the most vocal pro-life doctors in the country. She has testified on behalf of the unborn before Congress, spoken at the March for Life, and was key in rallying doctors from all around the country to fight strongly for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Joining me now is Dr. Christina Francis, who has just taken on the role of CEO at the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, also known as APLOG. Christina, welcome back to the show. Congratulations on stepping into this role. It's so exciting. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me. Of course. Oh, you're going to be amazing. So take me back sort of to the beginning of your practice in medicine and what inspired you to really get involved in this movement. I know that you delivered babies in Kenya for a while. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I did. So I never in a million years imagined, certainly, that I would be taking over as CEO at Applog, but never <laughs> actually imagined that I'd be living in the U.S. So I went to my OBGYN residency with the goal of working as a medical missionary for the rest of my life. Wow. And, and if you would have told me even, you know, 10, 15 years ago I'd be living in the U.S., I would have told you you're crazy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I spent three years working in Kenya. But during that time, um, you know, one, I saw the things that women really need in order to be successful in their pregnancies, to be healthy through their pregnancies, what their children really need. And, yeah. and it, it's not abortion, I'll say that. Um, you know, they need support. They need good medical care through pregnancy. But also during that time, I had a very dear friend, and I've told many people when I tell this story that everybody should have a friend like this in their life, but a very dear friend who'd been activated in the pro-life movement, actually through uh, 40 Days for Life at wow. her church. Mm -hmm. And she called me up one day and she said, Christina, you're a woman you're an OBGYN, you're a Christian, and you say that you're pro-life, but I don't think you're doing enough, and I think you need to be doing more. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was That's bold. A, a very bold <laughs> and a very amazing challenge, but that really started a, a somewhat long cascade of events that really drew me into understanding how significant the issue of abortion is in this country, that really it is the greatest social injustice of our time. And mm. I was able to be connected with some amazing people who taught me you know, how to defend the pro-life position 
intuition from a logic-based uh, standpoint and from reason. And um, and then as I got involved with AppLog, I got introduced to our current or our outgoing CEO, Dr. Donna Harrison. Uh, and as I was introduced to the medical evidence really that existed, not only to prove the fact that a new human life comes into existence at the moment of fertilization, but also to show the immense negative effects that abortion has on women, I knew that I couldn't ignore that any longer. Mm -hmm. And I also was kind of upset that I hadn't learned those things when I was an OBGYN resident. Sure. You know, I wondered why was no one telling me about those things so that I could adequately counsel my patients. Mm -hmm. And so all of that together drew me back to the U.S. and I started working with AppLog and that's where it all started. Wow, that's amazing. And, and talk to me a little bit about how the mission of AppLog has changed and grown, especially in this post world. I know we've talked about this before. Yeah, absolutely. So we, in the last 10 years, we have more than tripled our membership and we're seeing really sort of exponential growth now. Wow. And, you know, I think we, for a long time, we've been in existence for 50 years. And for a long time, we were kind of the little engine that could, you know, we were doing <laughs> a lot of things, but there weren't a lot of people sort of outside of the policy world and the pro-life world that knew who we were. And so a lot of what we've done in the last few years is just really getting our message out there, helping people not only in the general public, but also in the medical profession to understand that there are a lot of medical professionals, OBGYNs and others, who desire to practice medicine from a life-affirming standpoint. Mm. And now more people know who we are. We're over 7,000 strong in our membership. And now what we really wanna do going forward, especially like you said, in this post-row world, is help be um, truth in the medical profession, but also in the pro-life movement to understand that we have the medical backing, actually, the medical evidence backs the pro-life side. Mm -hmm. And so now what we're trying to do, especially with all of this misinformation that's circulating since the Dobbs decision came out, is really um, speak the truth about what the medical evidence tells us about um, what is and is not an abortion, what is and is not healthcare. Mm -hmm. Christina, we talked a little bit earlier about this, but you guys are working to equip young people who are in the medical profession. I have a lot of friends who are nurses studying to be doctors, and they want to know how they can protect life in the delivery room, in doctor's offices. So how are you going to kind of tackle that bear um, stepping into this new role? Yeah, well, you know, we just recently had our, our national conference that we have every year, and we were so blessed to have 70 students join us on full scholarship wow. at our conference. And what I kept hearing over and over again were, were sort of a few similar threads. One was, it was such an encouragement for them to be there, to see practicing physicians, practicing midwives, um, you know, practicing nurses that are practicing from a life-affirming standpoint, and for them to know that that's possible, right. like you said. You know, they're facing so many pressures right now in medical school and in residency training of needing, feeling like they need to be silent about their pro-life position. So what we want to do, what we want to continue to do, and I think it's one of the most important things that we're doing, is to equip them with the medical evidence that they need to back up their position mm -hmm. so that they can say, I don't think abortion is the right choice for my patient, not just because of my, my moral stance on the issue of abortion, but also because it's not good health care for either one of my patients. Sure. And so we want to equip them with that medical evidence that they need, but we also want to encourage them for them to know you are not alone because so many of them feel so alone, so isolated. So many of our practicing physician members feel alone and isolated. And so, you know, I just feel such an immense privilege that I, yes, I get to be 
sort of the mouthpiece for our organization, but I'm just one physician representing thousands of physicians who desire to practice medicine from a life-affirming standpoint. Mm. Well, Christina, your witness is beautiful, and we're so proud of you. All of us here at EWTN congratulate you on this new role, and we're excited to see what comes next. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, Christina Francis. Absolutely. Taking a look at state activity, the Utah State House just advanced HB 467, a bill that would effectively shut down abortion clinics in the state. The bill would stop clinics that only offer abortions from operating, meaning women would have to go to a hospital or doctor's office to obtain an abortion. The bill also stipulates that starting on May 2nd, it will be illegal to license any building as a freestanding abortion clinic. The legislation would also make it a criminal offense for people from out of state to prescribe abortion drugs to women in Utah. Joining me now is Utah State Representative Carrie Ann Lizenby, the author of this legislation. Rep Lizenby, thanks for being here and congratulations on advancing HB 467. I understand that pro-life members hold a supermajority in both the House and Senate in your state. How has that impacted your ability to advance pro-life laws and are you hopeful that your bill, which would shut down abortion clinics, is going to be signed into law soon? I am hopeful for that. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We've passed several significant bills this session. And previously, we passed our trigger bill, and I was the House sponsor for the trigger bill that we passed that is currently enjoined by the courts. And our AG's office is fighting that, and we hope that we will get some resolution soon on that. Right. And talk to me about current access to abortion in Utah. If signed into law, how many abortion clinics would your legislation effectively shut down? It would shut down three abortion clinics in Utah. Mm. It's impressive that that number has dwindled. There, there's only three abortion clinics in your state, but three too many. Um, abortion is currently legal in your state up until 18 weeks of pregnancy. And you alluded to this. You have a trigger law on the books that was supposed to ban abortion completely when Roe versus Wade was overturned. But Planned Parenthood has blocked it in the courts. How do you think that's going to play out? What's the timeline there? So, gee, I think it's been about four months now since Interlock was granted. So we are just waiting for the appeal to be heard. We feel confident that the injunction will be lifted and uh, by the Utah Supreme Court, and then our trigger law will go into effect. And in that trigger law, we, uh, our policy stated that life begins at implantation, and we, al we allowed for our exceptions to carry forward that we're currently in Utah law. So it's a significant reduction in the number of abortions that will happen in Utah after that, and HB 467 passes. Right. Th thank you for explaining that. And before I let you go, talk to me about what's really inspired you to take up the torch and fight for pro-life laws to be introduced in the state house in, in Utah. Thank you. You know, even Planned Parenthood v. Casey, as you'll recall, stated that states have a legitimate interest in protecting the unborn. And I feel strongly that life does not begin just because somebody has moved eight inches or six inches down the birth canal and is born. But life begins when a, a baby, a unique person with unique DNA is created, and we need to protect that life. And, and that that signals to the world that America believes in life and supports life. Mm, well said. Thank you so much for joining us, Rep. Carrie Ann Lizenby, and congrats again on this bill. Thanks for all that you do to fight for life. God bless you. You too. Thank you so much.
Coming up, we share some alarming news about just how many abortion pills have been trafficked throughout the United States. I speak out. And on a lighthearted note, we're joined by a renowned chef and priest who shares all about his new book next. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Since the fall of Roe, more than 20,000 deadly abortion pills have been shipped across the United States. That is this week's Speak Out segment. You've heard about how President Joe Biden and the FDA are pushing the sale of abortion pills, but that's not the only way women are getting their hands on them. There's a black market that has shipped over 20,000 abortion pills to women across the country. Some of these pills come through Mexico and other unknown locations overseas. That number was reported by just one abortion pill trafficking group, Aid Access. So there's really no telling how many of these pills have made it into the hands of women. There are two pills in the abortion regimen, mifepristone, which starves the baby of nutrients, and misoprostol, which expels the baby from the uterus. In a recent development, many abortion providers plan to start providing misoprostol-only abortions, which means more women could accidentally give birth to live babies. But that's not where the bad news ends. Many of these drugs are shipped from overseas and are illegally smuggled across the Mexican border, originating in unknown locations. There are published accounts of these pills being exchanged in sketchy abandoned parks in Texas, where a pregnant woman is handed a Ziploc bag of pills and left to her own devices. And our nation's leaders continue to turn a blind eye because the illegal underground trafficking of these fatal pills advances their agenda of abortions anytime and anywhere. Renowned chef Father Leo Padalinghug and Michael Foley have published a new book, Dining with the Saints, A Sinner's Guide to a Righteous Feast. A spin-off of the book, Drinking with the Saints, written by Foley, the book aims to encourage families to eat healthy, hearty meals together at their kitchen table, a concept that's tragically become foreign in a lot of American households. And joining me now is Father Leo Paddling Hug, author of the new book, Dining with the Saints, A Sinner's Guide to a Righteous Feast. Father Leo, thanks so much for joining me today. Talk to me about the inspiration for this book. You know, you've been cooking for decades now. So why, why now did you choose to come out with this uh, new and exciting venture? Because I had nothing else to do, Prudence, really. <laughs> it really is a pleasure to be with you all, and thanks for having me. This book came about because of an invitation. Regnery asked if I was willing to collaborate with a very, very talented co-author by the name of, of, of Michael Foley, and he's a historian. He wrote a previous book called Drinking with the Saints, and I, I was a fan of that book because it showed how, as Catholics— we are not um, we are, we are not how do you say so strict with our diet. We have dietary disciplines, but we as Catholics are allowed to eat and drink everything. And so the beauty of this book was really showing how the saints are so human that there was a, a a kind of a movement to honor the saints, and it had to do with food. And so I wanted to bring that 
historicity to the modern dinner table and make sure that saints are invited to their home suppers. Amen. What, what a beautiful thing. And Father, talk to me about some of your favorite recipes in the book. I've got several, actually, and some of them are kind of unique. Let me just give you an example. So uh, in Scotland, they celebrate St. Um, Margaret of Scotland with a haggis, and haggis is, is a very unique meal. And so what I did was I took the ingredients of haggis, most of it, and I kind of translated it for the modern sensibility. Uh, so that was a fun thing. St. Francis of Assisi has two recipes attributed to him because he is he's a great saint and everybody knows him. They think that he's so austere, and he was, but he had a special love for these almond cookies. So I took mm -hmm. an almond cookie recipe, and just to kind of, um, I'm going to quote Emerald here, kick it up a notch, I dropped in a dollop of Nutella. So, you know, even though he was a very austere, very disciplined, he fasted a lot kind of saint, well, on his feast days, the Assisi people, the people of Assisi, they, they go all out and they will definitely make these almond cookies, eating it to remember him. Oh, that sounds delicious. I recently got into almonds, so that's a, that's a recipe I'm going to have to try out. Um, Father Leo, talk to me about how in this fast-paced world, how much of a difference sitting together with your family and having a meal can make, especially when there are so many things that are kind of coming up against the nuclear family right now, against the idea of traditional family values. Yeah, preach it, Prudence. That's exactly what I've been doing for you know most of my priesthood is reminding families that what we do at the church around the Lord's altar, the dinner table for the for the Lord, is something that we have to replicate in our own homes because. We are the domestic church, and now more than ever, when there is an attack on trying to destroy the dignity and the innocence of the nuclear family, especially children, they are being indoctrinated in schools. Where else can they actually learn how to process all these things but at the dinner table? So the studies show, and this is coming from CASA, the Center of Addictions and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. If you mm. want to reduce drug addiction in your children, teen pregnancy, teen suicide, plus improve their testing scores, the number one factor is a regular family meal. And if you invite holiness to that dinner table, grace transforms it into a desk where the greatest lessons in life are learned. Mm -hmm. And if mom and dads, if you don't feed your children, I am sure that the devil will. And that's what's happening. We are allowing other people to feed the minds of the, and the souls of our children. And, and I'll be honest with you, we are what we eat. So mm -hmm. we've got to feed them something good. Well said, Father. Thank you for bringing up that powerful statistic. And, you know, this seems like a simple solution to a lot of the world's problems. But to families with children, sometimes scheduling in extra time to, to have a meal together can, can seem kind of like an impossible task in this busy world. So what's one piece of practical advice that you would give to them, Father? Well, I will say that nothing is impossible with God. All right, so we gotta know that even though things seem so out of our control, if you don't control your schedule, then the devil will. Right. It's up to us to make family meals not an important, but a necessary part of your schedule, because that is where you prove you are a family by all of the virtues that come from hospitality, patience, humility, 
obedience. And I say obedience because if you are serving good food, your kids will listen to you because they can't talk with their mouth full. <laughs> Father Leo, thank you for coming alongside families in the way that you do. Such a unique witness to the beauty and the power of, of the Lord working in our lives. God bless you. Congrats on this book. I can't wait to dig into it. Cheers. God bless. And that does it for this week's edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.